We are tonight's entertainment. You can't handle the truth. The fire rises. Pizza time. You're a wizard, Harry. So it be. You know how much I sacrifice? You think that's air you're breathing? Groovy. I don't have friends. I got family. We services hello everybody we are in for a trendless episode but not for the normal reason we have trendless episodes folks before i tell you what i'm about what i've eaten most recently i'm gonna have to tell you such an embarrassing tale of parth incompetence a rare case um trent and i recorded for we're on a call for about 40 minutes which is what uh zoom gives you for free and uh recorded an intro for next week's episode because we totally forgot our release order schedule um and so instead of recording the intro outro for the iron claw part two which you are presumably listening to currently we recorded the intro to next week's episode but uh, this is all kind of my fault because I misled Trent and said, no, 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 no. We're recording next week's episode. Um, guys, I was I was wrong. We were not, in fact, recording next week's episode. And this, I only came to this realization as I was editing next week's episode and uh, just about to upload it uh, to be released this the, the day this episode is coming out and realized we have not released part two. So I sit here humbled um, to ask for your forgiveness for our incompetence, which, to be fair, I don't think I really need to, given that you are getting the correct episode. But um, just so we follow our format, what did I have most recently? Well, you're going to have to actually listen to next week's episode to hear the more interesting tale of what I've eaten more recently. But so that um, I had some more content for you people, because... I'm in the content business now. Um, I actually consumed something else, and I had some chai with my father. Um, I had not seen him for a while, and um, not because he wasn't there, but I I was out and about. Um, But yeah, so I had some chai, and it was good, because my dad made it, and he always makes good chai. But what's also really good is our intro. Cue it, Trent. I mean, I I edit these episodes, but anyway. Welcome back to Craft Services, where we talk about the movies. Each week we talk about a film, and hopefully have a crew member of that film to talk with us about their experience working on the picture. This week... We are continuing on with our interview with Richard Reed Perry, composer of The Iron Claw. Um, This one was really cool. We talk more about some specific scenes. We talk about his work on other films. Um, And again, Richard Reed Perry, just a cool stand-up dude, if I've ever seen one. Um, Very cool. Um, So yeah, I kind of don't want to put too much in between the listener and this interview so so i'm wondering is your process of scoring like live scoring at all where like say you're watching a scene and 
he goes up onto the ropes and you're like, okay, the stakes are rising here. I need to crescendo. Or is it all more like thematic? And then later it's like the pieces are Frankensteined into place. And it's like, they're like, oh, there's a rise in the song here. You know, we'll add that after rather than you composing the music for like exact moments. Uh, it's a little of both. Sean tends to like scoring the interior worlds of characters more than he likes to be scoring the action. Mm. Uh, and so there's lots of times where I would do something and he'd be like, this is great. Like, this is a great piece of music, but it's like, it's too involved in the scene. We actually, what we need to bring attention to is what's going on inside of a character. And, and we'd run up to that against that uh, all the time. Um, whereas like, you think the scene is telling you one thing and it is from a certain perspective, but the angle that he wants to, to look at is something else. He wants, he wants to be pointing to something else than the action. Um, and so in the case of like the, the wrestling matches and in fact, the, the opening music, cause it is actually a wrestling match, even though it's sort of in slow motion and it's the opening sequence. Um, the wrestling matches, the stuff that's happening in the ring was done kind of to picture and there is a bunch of okay let's he's going up on the ropes let's let's bring up the energy or let's do something that's you know that's more of a bugs bunny approach where you're like okay he's going up let's go up he's going down let's go down like Mm -hmm. he's he's body slamming the guy let's make it happen you know and but not not in a like totally cartoonish way but yes with an attention to to you know kind of kinetic visceral energy happening on screen and supporting that or underlining that where it needs to happen. And then other times it'll be too on the nose and, and we'll veer away and say, okay, let's, let's let that, you know, let's let that not feel totally bugs bunny. And so you end up in hopefully in some kind of a balanced, balanced place that feels like it's supporting the energy and with moments of, of cool kind of underscore and, you know, really accenting moments, but it not, not feeling like it's too cartoonish. Um, and then likewise, the opposite where it's like, I think sometimes the best stuff comes from, uh, you just make an idea while like I spend more, much more of my time early in the process, just making ideas and making pieces of music that have their own interior life as a piece of music and not, I don't watch the film. I watch the film once and then I'm, that's it for me for, for a while. I watch film. I watch a cut or I read the script, and then I just like to make a lot of music that I that just comes to comes to mind as I'm, you know, trying to whatever, just trying to open the open the floodgates to what the possible musical world of the thing could be, and just let as many ideas fly out on their own um, early on in the process, so that then you start to adapt them to screen and see what sticks and what connects emotionally and. And then when you do need to Bugs Bunny it and work to picture, you do and you adapt things and you go, okay, we can add a little flourish here, add an instrument there, move, you know, move these drums around so they do something specifically to scene. Um, But I I like to try and write music that's strong as music. I always think about when I take on these projects, I have to want um, these films, like I have to it has to feel like it's an album that I want to make for me to be able to even step into it and begin. So I'm kind of thinking from that perspective the whole time as well. And whenever, whenever the filmmaker is pushing back and trying to make these decisions that 
make it maybe work better to picture, but a, a what might be a for my, to my ears a lamer piece of music. I'm always really stubborn about that stuff. I'm like, no, that is worse music. We can't do that. Like we'll do something else that sidesteps that. But when you when you start to compromise the internal movement, the internal dynamics, the internal life of the piece of music, I think you start to compromise the overall thing, like the overall picture and, and therefore the film and the, the music ha- needs to have its own internal emotional life that is that's kind of autonomous, that isn't just, you know, going spooky every time the picture is spooky and going sad every time the picture is sad. You know, there's some of that, obviously, and but um, I think music, you need to focus on the you know, it's and it's it's also like I'm not scoring Star Wars or Indiana Jones here. You know, it's not it's not a a wild motorcycle chase across the mountains or whatever. And that's a whole other that's a whole other level of scoring and um, yeah, which I could be interested in pursuing one day. But where I'm at right now, it's not it's not really that level of of um, whatever Fantasia style scoring, if you will. Sure. I mean, it seems like you and Sean Durkin have like a very um, healthy collaborative relationship. But were there any times where, like you were saying, of like uh, where a director might want to push for something that you think does not fit what you want from the score? Uh, Were there any moments while working on this where there was sort of a brush up with that? And like uh, where and how did that sort of resolve? Yeah, I mean, definitely. There's a few of them. There's one major one where it was like, I really felt like we needed to score like the uh, close to the end of the Iron Claw. Um, sorry, spoiler alerts, but if, if <laughs> uh, by if this point here, it'll have been out for a, a few weeks, so I think it's on the yeah. list right now. Yeah, right. Well, so the end. What you know, all the brothers but one die. <laughs> spoiler alert. Um, and so the the final death, Carrie, Carrie the brother named Carrie, um, he kills himself. And I, and we just struggled with that scene till the very end. And in fact, we like, they reopened it after the picture had already been locked and kept working on it more. And it kept, it kept dragging on and it was real, really like the final challenge to unlocking the whole thing. And, and, uh, and we really disagreed about what the approach needed to be. I really thought the action needed to be scored and was doing so and then redoing it. And just, I kept scoring this whole long action sequence of Kevin driving to try and find his brother and, and then finding him and then the dad coming and them fighting in the dirt and then him carrying his brother, his dead brother over the threshold and then watching his dead brother kind of move into the afterlife. And that was one long, really dramatic like dynamic involved action sequence for me like i really wanted to uh, musically i wanted the film to culminate in that kind of an action sequence as well and and it was really hard and we were going and sean kept kept kind of wrestling with it and wanted me to try different things and so i was just adapting it and adapting it and adapting it and eventually he tried um replacing what i was composing for that section with music that we'd heard earlier for the funeral and it, which is super minimal, way less of it, way less of a, a, um, way less of like a, a, I would say like a clear musical narrative and much more, um, much more opaque and like, uh, again, taking us in just into the interior world of the character 
not into the action of the of the sequence um and we just struggled with it for a long time and and in, in, in the end like I, th- I think it works really well and does something really beautiful what we what we settled on which is extremely minimal compared to what i scored and i just like worked for days and days and days and days um i couldn't even tell you how many days i worked on a much more action-based sequence of music for that bit um and we just kind of disagreed about it until until the 11th hour um but i think it works really beautifully like how it how it ended up but um but it was you know it's kind of just a when it's a question of sensibility where you're like yes this musically works but this is this is not you know for the director this is not what he wants to achieve like he doesn't want it to achieve a kinetic musical peak he wants to be alone in silence with the raw emotions of the characters and then he just wants to point to little you know sort of more intimate feelings and sad sad reoccurring feelings that are that are happening um and that's where and that's where we ended up with it and it's and and uh, you know it you do you have you go head to head and you you have disagreements and you we wanted a fundamentally different approach to the same scene, you know? Um, and obviously it's, it's his film at the end of the day. And so you, I work with that to try and figure out, well, okay, what can we do here to, to also have, have it feel like it's satisfying, musically satisfying to me, even if it's not doing what I would have it do if I was directing the film. And, you know, you just have to, that's the nature of collaboration. Also, it's a give and take and it's a tug of war sometimes. And you, Thankfully, like I'm really happy with how the, how the film turned out. It's not like uh, they turned it into something I was embarrassed of or anything like that. I think it's a great piece of cinema. Um, and yeah, and I haven't, you know, I'm I'm a, f- a few films in. I haven't come up against anything yet where I completely disagree uh, with what the director wants and can't see it and can't get into it and have to, you know go against my own will and <laughs> begrudgingly do something. I have I haven't gone there yet and hopefully never never will have to, but probably inevitable, who knows, but it, it, I definitely um I definitely like feeling like I'm on the same page with the director and and like we have a some sort of a shared vision and a shared sensibility and it and try and just work with with people who want to let me do my own thing and who who uh, are, you know, pleased to have it to have it go in whatever direction I want to run with it uh, to begin with. So we were wondering if there is like a track um, or like a specific moment uh, that you're most proud of in the film or if just musically or life-wise there's anything you learned that you'll take onto the next movie or onto the next thing in life. Yeah. I mean, I think I would I, t- I would take a lot of of what I learned on this film, which was really you know exactly what I was just talking about, like that that it's always you know you can really play things in totally different ways in a film, and and by pivoting from scoring action to scoring an interior world, you can really open the film up and open the story up and open the emotions of the thing up in a totally different way. And not that that, I, I, you know, we kind of, we kind of did that on the nest as well, but the nest is not an action movie. And so it wasn't begging you to score, score these action sequences. So it wasn't, it wasn't, didn't feel like it was a, a radical approach. Um, 
doing that on the nest, taking this interior, more of an interior relationship musically. Um, but I'll definitely like, I'll always, I'll keep that with me forever. You know, that's like a, that's like a really, it's kind of like a basic, it's almost a starting point. It's like, okay, where do we want to, what do we want to score? Are we scoring the inner world? Are we scoring the outer world? Are we scoring the, the, you know, even the unseen world beyond the outer world that we're watching, like, you know, this, this kind of like micro macro from the left, from the right, you know? Um, and that's, that's been a real great learning experience working with Sean. Um, specific moments of this film that I feel especially, especially proud of, I would say, I mean, I think the opening is really great. I think it's, that was like the first, that was the first part of the film that they finished, like they nailed right out of the gates, I think, was that the opening, the opening title. Um, that was the first scene that they sent. That was where it was like, this is the scene, like, this is how it's going to be. And they, they did little minor tweaks in it, but it was like, they really nailed that starting sequence. And, uh, and I feel like the music for that is really, really captures something and, in terms of like era as well as the action of it, as well as what it, the kind of musical ideas and the emotional feeling that it plants um, <laughs> in terms of a film about wrestling, you know, it's, I think it's pretty, it's pretty cool to have this kind of epic and dark lumbering, a little bit terrifying um, piece of music uh, opening this, this, this particular movie. Um, and we kind of we kind of found that fairly early on in the process too, um, in a way that felt like we were standing on solid ground out of the out of the gates with that. So I'm pretty proud of that opening sequence. Um, also, <laughs> kind of the most fun moment of scoring the whole thing was um, was we had to we had to we basically had to re- replace real WCW music that they use like for the for the kind of um like main event saturday night main event music and the, and the update desk um and that they had like real real clips in originally they had these two actual you know vhs clips that they'd put in there and that was real original music but they weren't allowed to use that um because of sort of licensing things and um and so they were like okay we really we need you to make something that does what this does and sounds like it is the real thing. And um, so that's like two, you know, just mini pieces of music, like kind of 45 seconds each. And then that was definitely the most fun part of the whole process. It was like imitation is, is a, a, it's a pretty good strong suit for me, imitating, imitating things or, you know, um, trying to, trying to copy pieces of music. And I wasn't directly copying what was there, but, that was kind of the starting point and that's actually really fun for me. It's like, okay, what's happening? What's happening in this, you know, this wrestling promo moment and what can we, what can we do to, to, you know, borrow, borrow something of, of what's going on and do our own thing enough that nobody's going to sue us and make it feel legit and like it's of the era. Um, and so those two little blips <laughs> in the middle, middle of the film are, um, I'm pretty proud of. So I guess Trent, are you uh, okay if I move on a little bit from Iron Claw talk? Parth, you can move on. Uh, yeah. So you also scored another film. 
that's getting released or has been released this year, uh, Eileen. So if you could talk a little bit uh, briefly about uh, working on that this year. Yeah, that was uh, another awesome piece of cinema um, that I was super stoked to work on. It's directed by William Oldroyd, who directed Lady Macbeth, which is a really great film. Uh, and it's also a period movie, kind of noir. Both of them are kind of noir <laughs> in in a, in a way, period movies. Um, uh, also, in the, this one's set in the 60s, um, starring Anne Hathaway and Thomas and McKenzie. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's based on a book that I really like by Otessa Moschweg. And it's kind of a noir... Uh, drama mystery uh, not really a mystery I guess but it seems like it's a mystery kind of a, a, a suspense of sorts um, that has a, a trajectory that you think is going in one direction and, and then at a certain point kind of two thirds of the way through the film uh, I won't do an actual spoiler alert but it just takes a it takes a wild left turn and then never never turns back and that sort of leaves a lot of questions unanswered and, and uh, from a, from a certain, from a certain perspective of, of typical movie narratives and movie storytelling, it just like totally abandons the, the things that one expects a movie to do um, in a way that is great and like shocking and surprising and very atypical. Um, and it's a yeah, really unique piece of cinema and, uh, uh, I scored that um, before I did the Iron Clot. Um, and uh, what else? It um, it's a much it's a more music forward film, I would say, than the Iron Claw. There's a lot more score in Eileen, um, and I was doing more action scoring uh, in that one, I would say overall. But I would, but also lots of lots of interior emotional score as well. Um, and yeah, really fun process. It was once again, I was really given carte blanche to pretty much do what I wanted by the director. He just, he just knew that he wanted there to be a tenor saxophone and an oboe. And he was like, and other than that, do it, do what you want, <laughs> which was great for me. I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. That's, I've not done that before. And, there is indeed a bunch of a bunch of tenor sax and a bunch of oboe um, and upright bass and flute and a bit of French horn and tenor sax and percussion and yeah it's kind of it's got kind of a noir 60s-esque chamber jazz vibe to it um, and w- once again I was I was sort of trying to make a score that could you could think this is from that era. This is actually from that time, but without it actually sounding like any specific music of that time. Um, so not trying to be like retro or, or, you know, pretend to be this sixties music, but I wanted to pay attention enough to everything about what I was doing that if you heard it, you could think when, when is this from? Like, is this actually from the sixties? Maybe it is. I have one right before the big kahuna final question, but I was sure. just going to say you have an upcoming composer credit on IMDb for, um, Adrian and the castle. 
Um, and yeah. uh, I'm yeah. I'm looking. I looked at the picture, and there's a frog man, and that looks cool. <laughs> that looks cool. If you could speak on that at all, if that's what's coming out next. Yeah, that is what's coming out next. Um, I don't think I'm allowed to say anything officially about what what's happening with the release yet, but um, it's gonna it'll be announced soon. Um, but it's a really beautiful half documentary, half uh, half scripted piece of work um, about these amazing uh, an amazing couple that built a castle that's still being built. Um, in the Midwest, not very far from Chicago, um, and just lived a really remarkable, colorful, strange, and beautiful life in a in an area of the the country that is not not that <laughs> remarkable or strange or beautiful. Um, lived a very very colorful, creative, inspiring existence, and um, and yeah, it's kind of, it's a documentary. It's it's kind of about it's about creativity and and love and it's also about loss and grief and how to sort of how to how to keep going uh, in life uh, even when when the centerpiece of it is pulled out from under your feet cool yeah. um, <laughs> that sounds super cool um, yeah it's, it's this beautiful really really unique piece of work trent is it time i think it's time um, so our big kahuna final question is what is the last great movie you watched? And it can be a rewatch or a new release, um, but it has to be great. Has to be great. Okay. Uh I mean to be honest, I, I just went and saw both Eileen and the Iron Claw in the cinema and enjoyed both of them greatly. And I think I think both of those films are like really excellent pieces of of cinema um so that's my first answer i also saw the holdovers which mm, uh, I, good movie i loved yeah, yeah really good movie like very soft-spoken sort of accomplishes a lot in a in a kind of a underspoken kind of way um in a way that i really appreciated and hadn't seen a film uh that that kind of subtle and and uh yeah so subtle and soft spoken in, in quite some time I, I deeply enjoyed that uh, i think that was great trent do you want to close us out yeah thank you so much to um our gracious guest richard reed perry for coming on he's worked on such cool films as the nest eileen and our film for today sean durkin's the iron claw thanks for coming on thanks for having me Wow. What an interview. Right, Trent? Never gets old. Um, yes, thank you so much to Richard Reed Perry for coming on the show. We really appreciate your time. You're a super cool guy, and we think you're so awesome. Um, because you are. We hope you enjoyed part two as much as, if not more, than part one. Um, because I certainly did. But what I think you might enjoy even more, now that you've finished parts one and two, obviously, is some more content. Again, we're in the content creation business. Um, and I'm happy to say that next week's episode is already fully edited and ready to be uploaded. 
um, we are talking with the cinematographer of one of my favorite films of last year, Past Lives. Uh, we're talking to cinematographer Xavier Kirchner. It's another two-part interview. It's pretty freaking cool. And if you're cool, you're going to go listen to it. So uh, you can go check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, wherever you get your podcasts, we're available. And you can also check us out on Instagram and Twitter um, to get some uh, updates. Other than that, thank you so much for listening, guys, and we'll see you next week. Bye.